Is today's case a story of an accident gone wrong or something more calculated and sinister? Hey Coffee and Crimers, I'm your host, Belle Fagan. Born on June 17, 1990, in Jacksonville, Florida, Maddie Clifton was raised at a time when parents allowed their children to roam free. And as a kid of the 80s myself, I remember those days, out after breakfast and back home when it was dark. School shootings hadn't even become a thing for parents to worry about either. So with all that in mind, on November 3rd, 1998, eight-year-old Maddie ran outside and told her mum that she was going to play at around 5pm. She promised her mum that she'd be back in time for dinner and off she went. Joshua Phillips was born on March 17th, 1984 in Allentown, Pennsylvania, but in the early 90s his family moved across the street from Maddie Clifton's family in Jacksonville, Florida. His dad, Steve Phillips, a computer specialist, was super strict and sadly also violent towards his wife Melissa and Josh. Despite his turbulent home life though, Josh's teacher said that he was an average student but a really lively kid, fun and personable and got on with everybody. Despite the six-year age difference, Josh and Maddie would often play outside together and were definitely described as friends by people in the neighbourhood. Maddie's parents had zero problem with this friendship because Josh had never been anything but quiet and friendly towards Maddie. And again, it was different times back then. Steve, Josh's dad, however, didn't allow him to have anyone over. He didn't like kids on his property, inside or outside, if he wasn't home. Tragically, on November 3rd, 1998, that innocent request to play outside and her friendship with Josh would prove deadly for Maddie Clifton when their play date went from after-school fun to murder. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Maddie headed outside and saw no one out in the street playing, but she did see Josh outside his house. So she walked over and asked if she could play. He was home alone at the time, so hesitantly, but he still agreed, as he didn't need to worry about his dad getting mad. It began like any other normal game, until he accidentally hit the baseball into her eye. When she started to bleed and cry and scream, he panicked. Now before I go on, I just want to make clear that this is Josh's account of what happened. Obviously, there's no witnesses to say that it was an accident, and tragically, Maddie isn't here to tell us either. Josh went on to say that he was so worried that his dad would be angry, and I guess worried that he'd get a beating maybe as well, that that fear caused him to drag her into his house. As he physically dragged her inside, the clothing on the lower half of her body came off. Once upstairs, he beat her with the baseball bat to get her to stop crying so loudly, and then strangled her. After that, he shoved her under his bed. Pretty soon, his parents got home, and Josh then spent the night hanging out with his family, doing all the normal things that they would do in the evening. While Josh had been spending the evening with his family, the Cliftons had been frantic. Maddie's mum had gone outside at 6.20pm to call Maddie and her sister Jessie, who'd also gone outside to play, in for dinner. But Maddie was nowhere to be seen. Sheila, Maddie's mum, began shouting out to neighbours, asking if anyone had seen her. Everyone said no. At 6.33pm, Sheila called 911 and reported the eight-year-old missing. Josh went back up to his room to get ready for bed and when he got upstairs, he realised that Maddie was still alive. At this point, he knew he needed to do more. So he slit her throat and stabbed her with a small knife nine times into the lungs to stop her breathing. Then he put her back under his waterbed. Now that's another sign that it was the 90s. Waterbeds were a huge craze back in those times. And just keep that in mind that he had a waterbed because it will come into play a bit later. The next few days saw police and hundreds of volunteers searching for Maddie. And amongst those hundreds of volunteers was Josh and his family. Thousands of flyers were handed out Maddie's parents made numerous pleas for her safe return on TV interviews. Police questioned neighbours multiple times, like everything was being done. And the FBI even became involved because the local police weren't having any success. So a $100,000 reward was offered for anyone that could lead to Maddie's safe return. Seven days later, on November 10th, Maddie's driveway was full of police officers and camera crews because Maddie's parents had just finished yet another plea on live TV when suddenly Melissa Phillips, Josh's mum, came running out of her house and over to police screaming that she had found Maddie. It was the middle of the day, Steve was at work, Josh was at school and Melissa was cleaning the house. She was in Josh's room tidying when she realised his waterbed was leaking, or so she thought. As she lifted the mattress, she found Maddie's bloodied body. Now remember I said police had questioned all the neighbours multiple times. Well, they really had. 
When Melissa ran outside telling police that she'd found Maddie's body under Josh's bed, police were stunned. They'd searched the Phillips home three times, but each time had mistaken the stench of Maddie's dead body for the smell of several birds that the family kept as pets. Police raced to Josh's high school and in front of his entire class arrested him and charged him with first degree murder. Staff and students were in utter shock as Josh just was not someone that they would have even thought about twice in terms of being able to commit something so heinous. In fact, the whole town was in such shock and disbelief that the case had to be tried in a completely different part of Florida because they couldn't find an unbiased jury locally that believed Josh could be capable, even though he'd confessed after his arrest. Now, yes, he'd only been 14 at the time, but because of how heinous the crime had been, it was decided that he would be tried as an adult. So, seven months later, on July 6th, 1999, Maddie's murder trial started, and despite his confession, Josh Phillips pleaded not guilty. The prosecution began by telling the jury that under no uncertain terms, Joshua Phillips was guilty of brutal first-degree murder of an eight-year-old child, which included three vicious attacks. The prosecutor reminded the jury that after Josh had killed Maddie, he'd slept on that waterbed with her body beneath it for seven days. He'd sealed the edges of the bed with tape and used incense sticks in an attempt to disguise the odour of her decaying body, illustrating to them that he'd gone to great lengths to hide what he'd done. Next, he reminded them that Josh had taken part in the searches looking for Maddie, despite knowing that he had killed her and hidden her body in the base of his waterbed. The court heard from police that they'd spoken to Josh the day after Maddie went missing. He told them that he'd seen her the day before, but that he didn't play with her as he wasn't allowed to while his dad was out. Obviously, a big fat lie. Police had searched the Phillips storage shed and car, but found nothing. They spoke to Josh again a few days later when he was at home, sitting in his bedroom. He sat on his bed as police questioned him. He sat there on top of Maddie's body, essentially, and said that he had no clue what had happened to Maddie. After Josh's arrest, police had gone back to his bedroom to process the scene, and when they opened the door, they immediately noticed a strong odour. They then saw two small feet with white socks sticking out from the bottom of Josh's bed. Maddie was partially clothed, her shirt was pulled up, and her underwear was sitting underneath her body. During the search of his bedroom, they also found several types of air fresheners, rolls of tape, a baseball bat hidden behind his dresser and a Leatherman knife tool, both of which were the murder weapons. The prosecution called the medical examiner to the stand and he testified that the slash to her throat had perforated her windpipe, causing her to bleed to death or drown in her own blood. When her body was found, Maddie's hand was actually holding a bracket from the waterbed's frame, which showed that she was still alive when Josh had shoved her underneath. All of this, they felt, proved that Josh's version of events couldn't be true, that a simple accident playing ball had turned into such a horrific death. Instead, they felt that it was sexually motivated. 
There was no dirt on Maddie's lower body that would be consistent with Josh's story of her clothes coming off outside from being dragged by him. There was no blood outside where they were supposedly playing, which if his version of the ball hitting her, causing her to bleed was correct, then you'd expect to find some evidence of that. And Maddie's older sister also said that Josh would often talk about sex with both her and Maddie. Then it was the defence's turn, and in one of the most unusual strategies ever, Josh's lawyer didn't call a single witness to the stand, nor did he put Josh on the stand. Instead, his whole argument hinged on his closing argument, that the murder was an act that began as an accident and deteriorated through panic that bordered on madness. Josh's lawyer had actually tried to enter evidence from a neurologist, but the judge had denied it. Josh had had brain scans done that showed that he had lesions on his frontal lobe, and these lesions were in a place that could, in theory, impair his judgment and cause panic in high-stress situations. But like I said, the judge said it was inadmissible for whatever reason, so the jury never heard about it. But in fairness to the judge, he'd also thrown out some evidence from the prosecution, They tried to submit evidence to show that Josh had been looking at violent pornographic websites on his computer leading up to the death, which supported their argument that the murder was sexually motivated. But the jury didn't get to hear about that either. The trial lasted for only two days, and the jury took less than two hours to reach their verdict of guilty. Because he was too young to receive the death penalty, the judge sentenced him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But in 2012, the Supreme Court decided that mandatory life sentences for juveniles was unconstitutional. So Josh Phillips automatically became eligible for re-sentencing. I mean, as you can imagine, well, I'd imagine that Maddie's family were just completely freaking out because essentially that re-sentencing could have seen him walk free. But in 2017, when his resentencing hearing went ahead before a judge, his original life sentence was upheld. The pain he inflicted on the Cliftons continued. There was zero closure for them, despite this life sentence. Maddie's parents dealt with their grief in totally different ways. And sadly, it actually ended their relationship. They divorced after being together for 30 years. 25 of those years, they'd been married. They'd been together since they first met in high school. Josh's dad, Steve Phillips, died in a car crash. In November 2000, almost exactly on the two-year anniversary of Maddie's murder, his vehicle veered off the right shoulder. He apparently overcorrected and the van went back across the road to the opposite shoulder and overturned. Steve was thrown out of the vehicle and died at the scene. And allegedly, he hadn't been wearing a seatbelt. Josh's mum, Melissa, refuses to accept that Josh will die behind bars. She told the Los Angeles Times that every month she makes the four-hour trip to visit him in prison. She said, quote, We talk in terms of when he gets out, not if. I have to keep some semblance of hope for the both of us. End quote. In the same article, she was also quoted as saying that she used to plead with Josh, saying that she'd found Maddie in their home, so she deserved to know what happened but she said that he would never discuss it with her. So she had to learn how to step back and say to herself that she may never get to know why. 
And I thought this was real testament to Maddie's mum, Sheila. She actually reached out to offer her condolences when Steve died. And apparently the two mothers have spoken a few times since. In 2020, Josh appealed to the Supreme Court, but it was turned down. In fact, they refused to even hear the reasons for the appeal, stating, quote, The original facts demonstrate the brutality of the murder of Maddie Clifton. Her death was not accidental. It was intended. Her death was not quick or painless. It was long and agonising. These facts also highlight disturbing aspects of the defendant's behaviour. Number one, the callousness and the ruthlessness that he demonstrated in the murder itself. Number two, the cool, calm and collected manner in which he carried on his life, even helping in the search. And three, the fact that he slept on top of her body for seven days. All of these actions indicate to the court the existence of something far more than mere immaturity or the inability to assess consequences. End quote. Now 39 years old, Josh Phillips remains incarcerated today. His mum actually remarried a British man who read about Josh's case on the internet and reached out to Melissa. Jessie, Maddie's older sister, who was 11 at the time of Maddie's murder, bought the house that she shared with her sister and parents because even though her parents divorced and moved to different towns, she always wanted to be connected to the home that she shared for the eight years of her sister's life. There is zero doubt that Josh killed Maddie, but we will never truly know why, because if it was sexually motivated, the autopsy showed that Maddie had no signs of being raped. Others feel that at his 2017 resentencing, his age at the time of the crime, the brain lesions and his model behaviour in prison should have been taken into account. But these are all questions that, regardless of the answer, won't bring Maddie Clifton back to her family or live the full life that she deserved. Obviously, Josh was still in high school when he was convicted, but he was able to complete it by taking classes through correspondence. In 2003, he qualified as a legal assistant, and he now works as a paralegal in prison, helping other inmates with their appeals. He's in a Christian band where he plays guitar and regularly takes part in yoga classes. I try not to get angry over things like this, but it's hard. Yes, I know he doesn't have freedom, but other than that, it seems like a pretty easy life he's got going on, while Maddie's family live in mental torture. Yes, he's displayed model behaviour in prison, but he has always refused to write an apology letter to Maddie's parents saying that they deserve an apology in person as his sincerity wouldn't come across enough in a letter. However, Sheila has said that she has zero interest in visiting and speaking to Josh. Thanks for listening. To see today's case photos, click on the link in the case description to join the Cup of Coffee and Crime Facebook discussion group. And if you're enjoying being here, please leave a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Until next week, stay safe. Acast anbefaler.
Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.